Good morning. Welcome, Joy Christian Center. Honored to have you here this morning. It's a blessing to be able to share uh, the Word of God with you today. And uh, uh, for those of you that uh, are visiting a guest with us, we always have fun like this. That's why we're Joy Christian Center. And uh, we believe that God is a good God, that He's a fun God, that God has set us free. And the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians that we're to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set us free and not be tangled up again with the yoke of bondage. And uh, I believe that life is just too short to not have fun during it. I have three great, uh, what I call three great goals in my life. Number one, I want to help people find Jesus to make him the Lord of their life. Number two, I want those who have found Jesus to be taught the good word of God so that they become everything that God says that they can and should be and who he created them to be. And thirdly, I want to have a blast while I'm doing the first two and so far, so good. And uh, you can pat yourselves on the back this morning. I know that we threw you a curveball today, having a service at 10 o'clock, and some of the 9 o'clock people are here. Others said, forget it, we're not waiting that long, and I don't know what happened exactly. Others that come at 1045 uh, to our second service, they're still on their way probably or still sleeping and have no idea that there's another service at all. And so congratulations to you, but this is also a kind of a dry run practice because in the month of September, everybody say September, 2016, that's just in a couple of months, you don't need to say that, that's just in a couple of months from now, uh, we are doing four, our four, well, each week of uh, September, uh, September 4th, 11th, uh, 18th, 25th, those will all be one service Sundays at 10 o'clock, all right? And we are celebrating our 25th anniversary, and uh, a milestone that big is too big to do just in one service, so we're doing uh, on the, the 11th, the 18th, and the 25th, all three services uh, will be designated as, as our uh, celebration for our 25th anniversary. So yeah, God is good, amen? Praise God. So welcome, and uh, thanks for being with us. If you missed that very first scripture uh, uh, from the book of Proverbs, let me read it to you again. Proverbs twenty six seventeen says that he that passes by and meddles in a quarrel that is not his own is like one who takes a dog by the ears. How many of you have ever tried to grab a dog by the ears? How many of you know what happens when you try to grab a dog by the ears? You're probably going to get bit, aren't you? And that's what Proverbs says. That's the wisdom of Proverbs. He says, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbors and says, I was only joking. And so with that, welcome to part three of our six-week series that we're calling Lessons from the Man Cave. And and just to kind of catch some of you up, because where we've started with the Man Cave, two weeks ago we started about uh, talking about David. David came to the, the cave of Adullam, and the word Adullam means a place of refuge. David was literally running for his life. Uh, he had been anointed to be the king of Israel, but then Saul became jealous. He didn't really like the challenge to the throne, and so he set about to kill him. He wanted to put an end to David before he ever had a chance to assume the throne. And so he's being chased. Things are happening. Uh, People have turned against him. In fact, in one place it says in 1 Samuel chapter 21, it says that he felt safer with the king of Gath, which is Goliath's hometown, who he had killed. He felt safer there with the enemy than he did with the people of Israel. And sometimes we feel the same way. Sometimes we feel like people that we don't know, care about, or love, uh, you know, or people that we, uh, you know, care about and love, people that we think might be on our side, it feels like everybody's turned against us. 
We're running for our life. We're busy. We're doing all kinds of different things. Well, David came to that cave at Adullam, and he found a place of refuge there. And he wrote some of his psalms there. And he was pouring out his heart to God. And we all need, whether a man or a woman, we all need a cave. We all need a place of refuge. And then last week, we talked about Moses, who when he was about 120 years old, he wrote in Psalm chapter 90, he gave us several things. He was talking about the eternity that God is, talking about the great expanse of time that God has witnessed. And, and he says about God, he said, God, if, he said, a thousand years is like a watch in the night. It's like yesterday. It just is here and gone for you, Lord. And he's trying to help us understand something. We get to verse 12 of Psalm chapter 90, and he says this, teach us to number our days. And this is something that we don't do well. This is something that we need to learn how to do. And, 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 and here he is saying, God, teach me. Help me to understand the power that is in the days that I have. Lord, teach me to number my days so that I may apply my heart to wisdom. There is wisdom in you and I understanding that our days are numbered. Whether we believe it or not, whether we understand it or not, whether we live with this in mind, and and typically it seems like the older that a person gets, or sometimes people have a a near-life experience, and they begin to weigh their life differently. They begin to live their life differently. And because of that, Moses is right. He said, Lord, help me to understand. Help me to understand that my days are limited. And if my days are limited, help me to live. Living as if our days are numbered will give us wisdom and insight into how to spend our limited days. Sometimes we have a tendency to live as if our days are going to last forever. The people that are around us will always be with us. The people that we love will always be there. Our kids will always be 12 or, or 10 or 9. Or sometimes when they're teenagers, we hope, dear God, we hope they grow out, this, grow out of this stage actually really quick. Uh, uh, and it feels like forever, perhaps. We always feel like our parents are going to be there. But life has a way of, of moving on, whether we're ready or not. And so he says, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. And so... In the first two weeks of Lessons from the Man Cave, we've been talking about a a place of refuge and a place for us to, to really consider and to think and to reflect. Those are important things. We all need those, whether a man or a woman, uh, young, old, whatever. We need those moments and we need those times. We need that space to do that. But how many of you know that sometimes, and this is kind of a transition in the next couple of weeks, but sometimes when we have reached that place where we found that refuge, we found that quietness, we found that maybe almost stress-free place and environment. For some of you, we've been asking the question, where is that place for you? Some of you, it's on a golf course. Some of you, it's, it's shopping. Some of you, it's cooking. Some of you, it's, it, it's fishing. It's out in nature, whatever it might be. How many of you know that when you get to that place where it's like, ah, there are no knuckleheads anywhere around. <laughs> and you kind of want to stay there, don't you? I mean, honestly, wouldn't we kind of like, perhaps, to have that place where we can sort of just, ah, maybe have the remote? Like one person said, I'm not trying to push all your buttons, I'm just looking for the mute button. (laughs) Some of you will get that on the way home. But anyway, (laughs) how many of you know that life's not that way? We don't have the option as Christians particularly, as followers of Christ, we don't have the option of hiding in a cave. We don't have the option of just kind of taking it easy, just just sitting back. We have a job to do, amen? 
There's some stuff that we're supposed to be about. We're, we're to be about the Father's business. We are those who, uh, the Bible says that the kingdom of God suffers violent, but violence, but the, violence take it, the violent take it by force that we are a mighty army. And sometimes it's just easier for us to sit back on our blessed assurances and just live life and take it easy. Let me read a scripture to you in, in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 17 that kind of gives us a, a direction for this morning. The message translation says this, you use steel to sharpen steel and one friend sharpens another. You use steel to sharpen steel and one friend sharpens another. Now, let me ask you a quick question. I think the the illustration here is pretty obvious, but what happens when you use steel to sharpen steel? Sparks fly, right? Sparks fly, but the steel, the blade, it gets sharper too, doesn't it? And the obvious analogy here, as he says, again, you use steel to sharpen steel, and one friend sharpens another. First of all, I I, I didn't think about this until this morning. I was just kind of praying, and and this sort of rose up in my spirit. But, But this, how many of you, hopefully, we have a tendency when we pick friends, when we associate with people, whatever it might be, we like to be around people who like to be around us, don't we? And we tend to gravitate at times towards people who like the things that we like. And when it comes to our friends, we don't want friends who are going to challenge us. We don't want friends who are going to maybe, you know, remind us of of an area of our life that we need to work on. We like friends who kind of just like to keep everything calm and comfortable and easy. That's the kind of friends that we gravitate towards. But the wisdom of Proverbs says that just like a piece of steel sharpens another piece of steel, and sometimes the sparks will fly, that's what a good friendship, that's what a relationship is like. Now, that doesn't mean that we needlessly become sparky trying to create issues all the time either. A friend is someone who has earned the right to be able to speak into your life and say, you know, I see an issue here. Or is this a problem to you? And we need those people in our life. But sometimes when iron sharpens iron, when the sparks fly, conflict happens. And most of us prefer to avoid conflict. Right? Or not, apparently. Some of us can't wait to initiate conflict, apparently. <laughs> I must be talking to the wrong crowd this morning. I, I know that some of you are out of place because you're a 9 o'clock person and a 10.30 person or 10.45 person sitting in your seat and you're not sure what to do. But I want to just conduct a... Uh, some of you, that's happened. Um, I, I, I want to... How many of you like like crime, crime scene investigative? investigation, CSI type TV shows, anybody? Well, we're going to do a little bit of a forensic analysis on conflict this morning. We're going to look at some things here from some lessons from the man cave, because I think that most of us, we would prefer to avoid conflict or we're taught to avoid conflict. And sometimes it's healthy and good, but we need to recognize some things. And maybe you're here today and you're in conflict or you've had conflict. You seem to have situations that arise quite often. The Bible gives us some great information about conflict. And it's one of the most important lessons from the man cave that we can talk about today. It says in James chapter 4 and verse 1, asks a very obvious question. Where do wars and fights come from among you? If it was being written a few years ago, can't we all just get along? Why is it so hard? I don't know if you've ever found yourself asking the question, but why can't we get along? Why is it so, and I've seen it in, in churches. Why can't Christians of all people get along? Hello? Why does it seem at times that churches have fights, that Christians are fighting with one another? 
Well, listen to what James goes on to say. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires? Notice it's not because the other person is stupid. It's not because the other person's a knucklehead or mean-spirited or demon-possessed. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust. Now, Unfortunately, today the word lust is, uh, is an overtly sexual connotation to that. But the word lust simply means an over-desire. It means an ex- a very strong, compelling desire. Certainly it can be used sexually, but it can also be, be, be spoken of. You can lust for food. You can lust for sleep. You can rust, lust for, for money. I mean, you can have an over-desire for everything. And that's what James is talking about. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight because you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss or the wrong way, that you may spend it on your pleasures. I'm going to read this one more time because this gives us kind of the forensic analysis of how conflict comes to be and also gives us some of the answer of how we can deal with it and overcome it. Again, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight <clears throat> You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasure. So let me just give you a couple of things that, that give us sort of the key of conflict. Number one, conflict starts with an expectation. Everybody say expectation. Conflict starts with an expectation. You want something. That's what James is saying here. He says they come from your desires. You want something to happen. You, want, you have an expectation that a certain thing is about to happen, perhaps in a certain way. And again, there's nothing wrong with that desire. There's nothing wrong with that expectation, but it begins here. It might be, begin with, uh, you know, it's my birthday and I'm expecting you to give me a gift, or it's our anniversary, and I'm expecting something uh, romantic, or I'm expecting a promotion, I'm expecting a raise, I'm expecting something good to happen on the job. It starts with an expectation. And again, that word expectation carries with it the idea of hope. Hope is a confident and a favorable expectation. And so expectation is good. It's what we add to faith. So it's important to have a a healthy expectation. It's important to have a good expectation. But going on, first of all, you have an expectation. But the second thing that happens is that that expectation goes unmet. You have the expectation. He says it this way. You desire, but but you do not have, and you cannot obtain. You have a desire for that romantic moment. You have a desire for that promotion. You have that desire for, for, for that raise. But when that desire is there... James says that desire goes unmet. And I think if all of us would be honest, we've had that happen. We call it disappointment. We become disappointed because we had an expectation and that expectation was unmet. And because it was unmet, there's a sadness, there's a heaviness, there's a disappointment that happens in our heart and in our life, which brings us to the third point, And that's that there is an emotion. Everybody say emotion. 
James says it like this, there's a warring in your members. There's a war on the inside of you. There's something happening on the inside of you. You're recognizing that something is going on. You're recognizing that you had an expectation. You maybe can't quite define it. You maybe haven't quite seen it like that, but you realize there's something happening on the inside that's kind of churning and burning on the inside of you. And at this point in this forensic analysis, in this point, you have a choice. And it's important to recognize this because you have a choice at this particular moment, at this particular juncture. You've had an expectation that's gone unmet, but that emotion, that warring on the inside of you is sort of a red flag. It's saying, hey, hey, something's going on down here. I'm not happy, kind of sad. Just want you to know. (laughs) After that, there's a reaction. James says it like this, you kill, you covet to get what you want, and you still can't get it. You try to get, and, and, and a lot of times, sometimes in relationships, we, we, we try in unhealthy ways, in, in, in friendships, in, in marriages. You know, you know, we try unhealthy ways. As a child, you know, they're, they're going to hold their breath, or they're going to cry, or they're going to pout. Why? Because I have an expectation that's going unmet, and so I'm going to hold my breath, or I'm going to cry, or I'm going to scream, or I'm going to stomp my feet until I get my way. Well, we grow up, and while we might not stomp our feet and hold our breath, we do other things. Well, I'll just give them the silent treatment. I'll just ignore them for a while. We've got to go track them down so we can ignore them so they know they're being ignored, but still, we're going to try to ignore them for a while. <laughs> You know, I mean, every guy has had this, every husband has had this experience. Here's the pots and pans, doors slamming, things like, what's wrong? Nothing. Well, you know that that nothing isn't nothing. It's something. Now you're left to panic and wonder, what in the world is the nothing that I'm, you know, I missed something somewhere. You know, the wife says, you know, what are you up to? And the guy says, well, it depends what you catch me at, you know, kind of a thing. And so, I mean, (laughs) so there's a choice that we have, and then there's the reaction. The reaction many times is an emotional outburst of some kind. It's words that are said in the heat of the moment. It's, it's tears and crying. It is pressure. It is trying to get that need met, a healthy perhaps need, met in an unhealthy way. We're trying to control and we're trying to dominate using emotional responses to do that. James says, you have because you do not ask. Or because you ask the wrong way. You have because you you do not have because you didn't ask. In other words, you haven't learned how to communicate. You haven't learned how to communicate in a healthy way. This is what I'm expecting. This is the parameter. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I expect to happen. Or you've asked amiss, you've asked the wrong way. I'm trying to get that perhaps healthy need met, but I'm using unhealthy ways to get the need met. I'm pouting. I'm holding my breath in a sense. I'm doing all of those things. Now, there's a better way. There's a better way to be able to do that. There's a more important or better way. And so what do we do? I'm going to say it like this. You need to recognize the symptoms. I believe that in conflict, the pressure is on the person. This is what James says. James says that where do conflicts come? They come because of something happening on the inside of you. 
It's easy for us to want to blame other people. It's easy for us to want to blame other things. We want to blame circumstances. And, and certainly there are moments and there are times that people act inappropriately towards us, that people will say things or do things. They will maybe out of, the, out of, out of a fit of anger or, or something, they will say something that later they regret saying or perhaps they don't have all the information and so they speak the wrong way about something or, or, or do something the wrong way. But something happens on the inside of us. You don't ignore the symptoms. The warring on the inside is the symptom that you need to be alert to and aware of. If, if, if you were at a get-together tomorrow on the 4th of July and somebody got stung by a bee and then all of a sudden you're looking at them and they go, whoa, because all of a sudden their head is, has just you know, swelled up. How many of you would recognize that's a symptom? And you'd be like, uh, 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 call 911, do something. You got an EpiPen in your chest kind of a thing. Let's, let's get that taken care of. But for whatever reason, when there's that emotional response on the inside of us, we want to ignore it or forget or not even recognize that it's there. But you, that isn't something that you can ignore. Chances are, particularly relationally, avoiding it doesn't make it go away or make it to get better. All right? And so, again, recognize the symptoms. Now, I got to just say this. I asked for, for permission to do this. And uh, I want to, I, I am not a big Facebook user, um, but I, I saw something, it was such perfect timing. I saw something this week. I'm going to go ahead and put it up on the screen. Jeremy Zimmerman and, and I are friends. I'll just let you read it. Now, for those of you maybe in the back can't quite read what that says, my mother colored a garage sale price sticker black with a Sharpie and stuck it over her check engine light. Problem solved. <laughs> so then I went to Maria and I said, hey, Maria, this is, a, this is something I saw on Facebook. And she's like, what, Jerry, you put that on Facebook? Yeah, he did. And it's hilarious. And so then she started to laugh and she actually took that picture. And, uh, um, and so then I asked, hey, can I, can I talk about this? Because this fits right into what, what I'm talking about this particular week. Actually, I redid the whole message just to make this. No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. But this fits right in because this is what happens a lot of time. There's an issue. There's something brewing on the inside of us. And it's just like, now let me just tell you the rest of the story first of all. Maria said this, the check engine light was on and it's this glowing thing in my face that causes stress and pressure, so I wanted to deal with it. Well, one of the things that I was thinking was like, wouldn't you just take it to a mechanic and, you know, I mean, if something's wrong, something's wrong, you should probably get it fixed. And she had already done that. And the problem wasn't so much with the engine, it was with the light. Now, that's a whole nother message because I know a whole lot of people that the issue is not the issue. I know a whole lot of people who have a, <laughs> they have a check engine light on, and there ain't nothing wrong with the engine. It's the light. It's them. There's a, I mean, everything is a everything. Some of you know people just like that, don't you? If you can't say amen, say oh me. But anyway, I know that there are people that are just like that. <laughs> And it's like, there is really not that big of a deal. And they're making, you've heard it, a mountain out of a molehill. This isn't that case. 
Actually, one of the comments on there was, put a piece of, why don't you just get a piece of electrical tape and put it over that, rather than taking the time. Well, Maria's just creative, and she wanted a color, and so uh, she's a problem solver. But anyway, regardless, here's, the, here, here's kind of the point that, that I want to make to you about that this morning, because you need to take the, the, the warring of emotions that you feel, and sometimes you haven't been able to connect the dots, that I was expecting something to happen, and it didn't happen the way that I expected to, and now there's this conflict on the inside of me. And so what do we do about that? How do we deal with that? When I feel something churning on the inside of me, which is sometimes when that's happening, we prefer to be in the man cave. We prefer to be in the place of refuge that we can just sort of just chill and get, get away from all of that pressure. But that's not how life is lived, and that's not how God wants us to live our lives. He wants us to be a blessing in the, in the face and in the heart of, of, of other people. And so... <laughs> I have it in my notes. Conflict isn't always because of the devil or mean or unspiritual people. I think this. I think that one of the biggest reasons that conflict happens, particularly among Christians, uh, is this. Conflict can happen because we're all wired differently. We're wired differently. We don't see things the same way many times. We don't feel things the same way many times. There's, there's something on the inside of us, a, 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 a life, a, 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 an anointing, a gift that God has put on the inside of me. We, have, I'll say, we, we all have different giftings that God has put into us. And if, if you're not sure how you're gifted or how you're bent or how you're wired, we have a class for you in our growth track, steps three and four, help you to understand what is the gifting and the passion, the call in my life. And it, it, it's, a, it's sort of a broad brushstroke that hopefully helps you get, uh, get taking some steps towards perhaps finding that place of fulfillment because of how you're wired. I, I, I have an illustration. I won't take the time to give all of it, but I have an illustration. I call it the parable of the kitchen. And, and, and let me read this scripture in Romans 12 first, and I'll tell you about this parable. Having then gifts differing, everybody say differing. differing. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, that's God's measure. Grace is, is, that, is that charisma, it's that gift. Having grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. We're all wired differently. And there are gifts that God has put into you by his grace. And in the parable of the kitchen... The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is like electricity. Imagine your kitchen, and the goal is the master chef says, I want bacon and eggs for breakfast. And so generally, you know what to do. You're going to turn the stove on. The electricity hits the stove, and a stove does what it's designed to do. It heats up. You take a pan. A pan is designed to do the job. You put the pan on the stove. You put some kind of nonstick spray or butter or something in there, and you put the eggs in there. And then you go over to the toaster. And you pull the bread out of wherever your bread was, and you put the toast in the toaster, and you push the thing down, and then the electricity hits the toaster, and the toaster does what it's designed to do. There's no difference in the electricity, just like there's no difference in the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the power of God. The Holy Spirit is the power of God, and you're like an appliance in the kingdom of God. Some of you are stoves and toasters and microwaves and refrigerators and freezers and all kinds of different things. And so when the Spirit of God hits you, you will respond according to your grace. 
And that's the beauty of the kingdom of God. When each of us are responding according to the beauty uh, or, or the master plan that God has, when we as a church and the various giftings that are in this church function together, something beautiful, the master chef God is able to create life-giving sustenance to central Minnesota through us. But what happens, what happens if the toaster says, you know, I am so tired of making toast. I'm sick and I wish I could make eggs. Now, how many of you know you can make eggs in a toaster? They will cook, I think. I've never tried it yet. <laughs> you can cook eggs in a toaster, but you're going to make a mess, aren't you? And that's what happens a lot of times because we're wired differently, and yet we'll look at somebody else, well, I want to be able to do that. I, I should be able to do that. And then we begin to not act according to our gift, or we don't recognize that gift in another person. So conflict can happen because we're wired differently. Sometimes conflict happens because we have different callings. I think about churches and, and organizations. Listen to this scripture in the book of Galatians. Galatians 2.8 says, For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. Paul was writing this. And if you've ever gone through or studied the book of Galatians, you'll find out that this was one of, there, there was a big fight, basically, over the church at Galatia. Now, when Paul says this, that he worked effectively for he, that's the Spirit of God, or Jesus, worked uh, effectively in Peter for the apostleship or a sent one to the circumcised. Peter's ministry was predominantly to those who were Jewish. They were the circumcised. Paul's ministry was predominantly to the non-Jewish or to the Gentiles. There were different callings on both of their life, but it was by the one God, it was God who had, uh, had anointed Peter towards the Jews and Paul toward the Gentiles, but because the Jews in Jerusalem didn't understand that, there was conflict. And basically, the conflict happened this way. The, the, the Jews in Jerusalem and those who came up under the law, they basically were saying, if you want to be a Christian, you need to be a Jew first. You need to follow the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to do all of these other things. It's kind of like we sometimes do today. If, you know, you're going to have to be a Christian first before you can come to church. You're going to have to be perfect. Well, I hope that, that you've been around here long enough to know that's not true. And yet we do that. There can be conflict because there's different callings and giftings, different giftings and different callings. But here's where I want to go with this. Lessons from the man cave. There's only 47 of them. We'll be out of here before the fireworks tomorrow. Here's some lessons from the man cave. This, this is the reason that, that, that I want to say these things and have kind of belabored the point. Where does conflict come from? Something happens on the inside. And, and then when we look at the big picture, sometimes it's just because we're, we're gifted differently. We're wired different. And sometimes it's because we have different calling. But here's what I want you to see. First of all, conflict in ministry or in life or in church will cause us to lose sight of ministry. This is why we need to watch it. This is why this is important. Because we can't all just hide in our place of refuge. We are called to engage a world that is far different than we are or should be. Sometimes, listen to this, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Say that out loud. I know in part. Say that with me. I know in part. You know what that means? That means that nobody knows it all. Look at the person next to say, you don't know everything. When it comes, comes to conflict, when it comes to conflict, 
We might have just started some conflict right there. When it comes to conflict, always remember this. There's always one thing you don't know anything about. When it comes to that emotional warning that's going on on the inside of you, when it comes to that pressure that you're feeling, when it comes to that, that not, whatever it might be, always remember that there's at least one thing that you don't have any idea about. You don't know. I, I just heard this story this week about a, there was an intern at a company, and, and the intern did not like the rules of, of what they were supposed to wear. This is an intern at a big company. Been around for a long time. The intern gets some other interns together and they write a letter to whoever's important in the company and say, we, it has come to our attention that, that your uh, uh, rules for, for what people should wear are, are, are just archaic and, and, and it's not comfortable for us. We think that, that you, know, you shouldn't have to wear a suit and a tie, but that shorts should be acceptable and that sandals should be okay. And in fact, we even noticed one of your other employees that are not wearing the right shoes. And this person has been promoted in a place of leadership, whatever it is. So, <laughs> much to their surprise, they found themselves without a job. <laughs> they had a meeting. And they said, you know, thanks for writing this letter. It means really nothing to us. But one thing we wanted to point out to you, that the person that you were talking about that, that was wearing shoes that were not approved, it's because uh, she was over in Afghanistan or somewhere. She lost a limb. And because of that, she only can wear certain kinds of shoes. Never forget, there's always one thing you don't know anything about when it comes to conflict. No one, even you, don't know everything. When I stand in judgment of somebody, it's making an assumption that I know more than I really know. When I pass judgment, the reason they did this, the reason they said that, the reason they acted this way, when I begin to pass judgment, it's because I'm making an assumption that I know more than I really know. And you all know what happens when you assume, right? And if you don't, find somebody who does, and they'll happily show you exactly what happens. Here's another point. Some things aren't worth fighting over being right. Who cares if you're right? Does it really matter? 1 Timothy 1.4 says, Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Don't fight over the small stuff. Work to edify. That's what he's saying here. Why are we fighting over these little things that really don't matter? At the end of the day, what's more important? If a person has been edified or built up or whether we're right? I've said it this way to you many, many times. Are you proving a point or are you making a difference? The church has been really good at proving points, but we've missed the making a difference part many times. Another one, recognize that we're all on the same team. When it comes to the body of Christ, when it comes to those who name Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, recognize we're all on the same team. Amen? You might be wired differently. You might have a different calling but we're all on the same team. And ultimately, we are all responsible to follow the, 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 the Savior, Jesus Christ, according to what we sense and feel on the inside of us, according to the word of God. Listen to what happened here in Mark chapter 9 and verse 38. Now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, do not forbid him. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. He who is not against us is on our side. And here's a style issue. Here's, a, here's an issue that says, wait a minute, they're different than we are. They don't do it the way that we do it. And Jesus, we saw them. They were doing it totally wrong. 
And Jesus was kind of like, well, wait a second. Were they better? I mean, if they're not overtly against me and if, if they're producing for the kingdom of God, then you know what? Probably on the same team. See, what's more important? Us being right? Us guarding our style because it's comfortable to us? Or our style because this is how we were raised or this is how we grew up or, or this, uh, is that what's important to us? And see, oh, I'm getting, I need my, here's my little soapbox. It's pretty narrow. But uh, there's different giftings and different callings. Man, it's, it's, it's at times in the church world that we got churches fighting against other churches, and we're all on the same team. We need to forget. You see, we'll go back to that very first point. Conflict in ministry will cause us to lose sight of ministry. If the enemy can get a church fighting among itself, then guess what? The community that that church is planted in will not be reached and affected. And ultimately, that's the reason that we emerge from our cave that is the reason that we emerge from our place. And that is the reason that at times we make ourselves uncomfortable. It is why at times that we have to maybe stuff it a little bit. We need to be quiet sometimes. Because you don't have to be right all the time. But you need to understand that you are planting seeds in fertile fields. Jesus said that, the, that I looked around and I saw that the harvest is plentiful. It is right there. Just reap the harvest. God wants to speak to each and every one of us to minister effectively to the people <clears throat> that he has called us to, our friends, our family, coworkers, things like that. So recognize that we're on the same team. And then lastly, there's, or, or, uh, along with that, there's more than one way to eat a ham sandwich. That's not the last thing. Don't forget, that's my little thing. There's more than one way to eat a ham sandwich. How many of you know that? I want to tell the story again, but I don't know if I should. <laughs> tell it. <laughs> You've heard me say this a gazillion times at Joy Christian Center over the last 25 years. More than one way to eat a ham sandwich. I ate ham sandwiches the correct way. <laughs> Which is with Miracle Whip, yellow mustard, ham, sometimes lettuce. That's the right way. When Shelly and I got married, she ate ham sandwiches the wrong way. She had it with Miracle Whip and bread and ham. And I put yellow mustard on my sandwich. She said, that is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. That's awful. I said, well, that's because you do it wrong. Now, she was raised eating a ham sandwich without yellow mustard. I slipped yellow mustard on there one time, and she's like, you put yellow mustard on this? I said, yes, I did. She goes, well, it's pretty good. I'm glad I have a wife that just, you know, she's okay to say, you know what? That was good. There have been other things that I've been like, Ah, oh, I've been wrong for so long. <laughs> There's more than one way to eat a ham sandwich. What's more important, fighting over yellow mustard or, or getting the nourishment and pleasure from eating a ham sandwich? Amen? There's more than one way to get the job done. There's more than one way to minister the gospel to people, all right? Just because you were raised in a certain... Boy, 
just let me say that with a smile. Just because you were raised with a, in a certain way or style or system, that's not the only way to eat the ham sandwich. That's not the only way to present the gospel. Are you presenting the right gospel? Are you presenting Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, came from God to love this world, to give his life, to shed his blood so that the sin of this world would be forgiven and that those who put their faith in Jesus Christ would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that there's a new life on the inside of them. As Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become brand new. If that's the gospel that you're preaching, I don't care anything else that's going on. Because ultimately, that's the gospel. That's the good news. It isn't the, it isn't the system. It isn't the, everything else around it. So, last but not least, love is, just a, love is just a word until we put it into action. Christianity is famous for singing about the love of God and talking about the love of God and, and, and that's all it is, is talk. It's not action. It's not doing. Love is just a word until we put it into action. This is what love looks like, church. This is the mirror. <laughs> First Corinthians 13, love endures long and is patient and it's kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. Love is not baseful, boastful, or vainglorious. Love does not display itself haughtily. Love is not conceited or arrogant and inflated with pride. It is not rude or unmannerly, and love does not act unbecomingly. Love, or better, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. Love is not touchy or fretful or resentful. Love takes no account of the evil done to it, and it pays no attention to a suffered wrong. We can sing about love all day long. We can read scriptures about love all day long. We can tell people that God loves them, but until that love in us becomes an action towards them, it's nothing. So Joy Christian Center, I have a question for you this morning. The ultimate lesson from the man cave. Are we willing to let this great love of God that is in us are we willing to release it to other people? Are we willing to let that love dominate our need to be right? Are we willing to let that love dominate our hurt, our offense? Or do we still feel the need to be right? Do we still feel the need to argue for our own best interest rather than the interest of another? Because ultimately, that's the mark of Christian maturity. It isn't how long you've been a Christian. It's how much you let God's love and God's word flow out of you. It's how much you have surrendered and submitted your way to his way. One more time. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious and it never boils over with jealousy. Love is not boastful or vainglorious. Love does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited arrogant or inflated with pride. Love is not rude or unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own right or its own way. It is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful, and it takes no account of the evil done to it, and it pays no attention to a suffered wrong. With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed this morning, nobody looking around, if you're here today and you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior, 
Jesus said in John's gospel, the third chapter, that unless you're born again, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't say that unless you attend the right church, unless you live a perfect life. He said, unless you're born again, you need to, be, you need to have a rebirth. And, if you're, and the way that that happens is through a statement of faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you. Paul said it like this, you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, then you will be saved. So with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior and you would like to today, I want to lead you in a prayer. That's all I'm going to do this morning is just lead you in a prayer. If you say, Pastor, I've never accepted Christ as my Savior, but I'm ready to this morning. Would you just lift your hand up real high? And this is celebrating independence if you do that. Anyone at all, just hold your hand up real high this morning. Yes, ma'am, thank you. Anyone else? Let's all pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. I recognize today I need a Savior. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I believe you died for me. I believe that you rose again. And I believe that you're seated at the right hand of God. I thank you that you have forgiven my sin. And you've put your life on the inside of me. I am a child of God. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for these that have prayed this prayer for the first time. I thank you that you've begun something in them. I thank you, Father, that they have passed from death unto life. I thank you that they've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son of your love. And, Father, I thank you that you've put a new life and a gift on the inside of them. And, Father, we believe in the name of Jesus that they will continually grow towards that. And we thank you for that. And, Lord, I thank you for the men and women that are here this morning. And, Father, I thank you that your gift, your life is on the inside of them. And, Father, if there are those that have experienced or or are experiencing conflict this morning, I thank you, Father, that they find it within themselves to allow the great love of God to rise up bigger than the hurt and the pain and the offense and find freedom in you. And we thank you for that in the name of Jesus and everyone said, amen.